to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. While you're standing, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. We honor our pastor in his absence. We thank God for our lead pastor, Pastor Chris. We thank God, most of all, for his presence, the presence of God that's felt in this room. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, today I want to talk from the subject finishing strong. Finishing strong. Many of you have gone through growth track. Many of you have heard me teach this principle of we buy a new car, It's got a technology package kit in it. We're riding down the road. My son opens the dashboard, and he says, what's this book? I said, that's the owner's manual. He said, have you read it? I said, no, I don't have a reason to read it. He says, it's a waste of my time to read that book. And another day, we're riding in the car. My thumb hits something on the stern wheel, and the car begins to talk to me. My son is sitting to the right of me, and he said, if you had read the owner's manual, you would have known what that was. I use that that analogy to to prove to us the point that many times we question our assignments, we question our purpose, we question what it is God wants us to do in life, and we don't have a clue. But just like That owner's manual is in the car. It tells me everything about the car. Guess who created you? God did. Nobody knows you like God does. And so if you want to know anything about you, if you want to know anything about your assignment, your purpose in life, why not go back to the manufacturer? This is why Romans 12 said, present your bodies living sacrifices. Present yourself back to him and say, God, you created me. You know my purpose. You know my assignment. What is it that you want me to do? And God will begin to downpour into you. He will begin to reveal to you everything it is about your life that he wants you to do. Now, I want to throw this principle out here. This is a a great principle. I I think it's good because many times you run into individuals who say, I don't hear from God. God just doesn't speak to me. And when you feel that way, listen, this this, this is the principle. Spirit-led, principle-centered. Spirit-led, principle-centered. So when God doesn't speak, what do you do? You make the decision based on the principle in his word. You make the decision based on what his word has already told you to do. So if God is silent, maybe it's a testing season for you. What do you do? Do everything that the Bible has told you to do. This is why we got to do what 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show ourselves approved unto God. Read the word of God, and God will begin to reveal to us things in life that he wants us to do because what I find is the nature of God, it is in the nature of God that we begin to find ourselves. 
It is in his nature that we begin to find ourselves, and I've discovered something. I've discovered that some things come easy. Some things come easy. The moment we get saved, there's some things that come easy, but there's other things that you and I, we have to war to develop in our lives. It's spiritual warfare. It's not going to come easy to you. And I believe this is even evident in scriptures. The Bible says that we are to work out our own salvation. Oftentimes, I've read this and wondered, why did he put that personal pronoun on in there? Because sometimes I find that brothers and sisters trying to work out somebody else's salvation instead of working out their own. And instead of looking at the speck in your brother's eye, you need to be looking at your own life and trying to work your own salvation out because you don't have time to worry about nobody else. Except for when you're discipling and when you're ministering and when you're trying to help people. Amen. We got to work out our own, own salvation, which suggests to us that from the start, we're not all there yet. The moment we get saved, we're not all there yet. However, as disciples of Christ, guess what? We are becoming. We are becoming more like Jesus. We're 100% saved from the beginning, but we are, according to Romans 12, being transformed into his glorious image. And so there's an array of adjectives that the Bible used to describe the nature, the character of God. The Bible uses in the book of Hebrews the word immutable. The word immutable means unchanging. The writer seems to just suggest to every single one of us as believers very clearly that Jesus, who is the express image of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, suggesting to us that you and I can take comfort in the fact that, guess what, God is a consistent God. Praise him for that. He is a consistent God. Listen to this. He was, he is, and he will be. He is a consistent God. He was a way maker. He is a way maker. He will be a way maker. Come on, somebody. He was a healer. He is a healer. He will be a healer. He was a deliverer. He is a healer. He will be a healer. Hallelujah. Everything theology has taught us, the attributes, the nature, the character of God, we find ourselves as believers striving to be. He tells us in his word that he is a holy God. So guess what? He says, you be holy. Talking to his church, for I am holy. How do we become holy? Well, the Bible gives us the notion of sanctification. And sanctification is a process by which we become holy like God is holy. It takes time. But it takes time pressing in his presence to get this. The difference between God and us, God is infinite. We are finite. God is infinite. He is endless. He's not limited. He is inexhaustible. That's the God that we serve. Come on. He is inexhaustible. He is endless. He's not limited. His word is inexhaustible. I remember a child in a youth group said, well, I've read the Bible all the way through. Don't need to read it no more. I said, no, child. I said, you're sorely mistaken. I said, keep on reading. I said, you can read John 3.16 today. And read it again later on this evening and he'll reveal something else to you. You can read Psalm 23 today and read it tomorrow and he'll reveal something else to you. Why? Because the scripture is not of any private interpretation. But how many of you know there's many revelations in the word of God? There's many revelations he'll begin to reveal to you. And so God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He is omnipresent. 
He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at the same time. He's Alpha. He's Omega. He's the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. I love the Hebrew writer because the Hebrew writer talks about Christ being superior to all, and he comes to chapter 7, and he, he talks about the king of Salem, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, and he says that he was made like the son of God. And here's the attributes of him. It says that he had no genealogy. He had no origin. He had no mother, no father. He had no beginning, no ending. But yet, we're given the notion that, guess what? Christ is greater than Melchizedek was. Come on, somebody. We serve an amazing God. You need to give him a hand clap of praise. He is an amazing God. But as we talk about Christ, Jesus is more into talking about us. The more and more you and I talk about Jesus, Jesus is so into us. He doesn't want us staying babes. He doesn't want us drinking milk all the time. He says milk was good when you was a baby. But the older you get, you look foolish to still have a pacifier in your mouth. The older you get, you look foolish still wanting mama give me my bottle. Amen. He doesn't want us stand, babes. He wants us, guess what, developing, developing. We, we, we see him in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the birth narrative. We see him in the incarnate gospel, John's gospel. He's Christ. He's Lord. And we see him from birth in the synoptic gospels uh, uh, up to age 12. He's in the synagogues. He's teaching, and they're amazed at his teaching. But then we have what's called the 17 wonder years. And all of a sudden, at age 30, his earthly ministry begins and three years later, watch this, he is the lamb slain who takes away the sins of the world. It is finished. He ascends back to his rightful place. And boom, the church age begins. The kingdom age begins. The acts of the apostles begin. And I said this before, but you and I today, we're still writing the book of Acts because the church age is still alive. The kingdom age is still alive. And your story is being written. Amen. Listen. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And God's word to us today as a church, as individuals, as the body of Christ, listen, God's word to us today is, I want you to finish strong. God says, I want my kingdom, I want my church, I want Every single one of you to finish strong in your assignments and whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, but I want you to finish strong. Yes, you'll have some hiccups along the way. You'll have some testing seasons along the way where God is quiet. You'll have some middle ground, but yet God wants to encourage us, no matter where you are, get up, dust yourself off in the grace of God and keep on pressing in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says. Paul says, watch this, he says, I press taught the mark for the prize of the high call of Christ. In other words, guess what? Press means there's opposition, there's opposing forces, but irregardless, guess what? You and I, we all can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. I don't care how hard it may seem, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I don't care what's in front of you, you need to start saying that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we press, we press. And here's a disclaimer. One late author, Dr. Miles Monroe, wrote many books about the kingdom and principles of purpose and all these things. He said this, he said, the richest place in the world is the graveyard. 
And if he'd have left it at there, I'd have said, wow. But he kept on in his writings and he said the reason the richest place in the world is the graveyard is because when you go to the graveyard and you see all of those names and that beginning date and that ending date, he said the problem is in that grave lies untapped potential that was never reached. All the purpose that was never accomplished. He said it is the richest place in the world. So I don't know about you. I don't want the richest place in the world to be in the grave with me. I want to be able to give everything that God has in me, every assignment, every purpose on my life. I want to be able to give and give and give until I'm done. And we're going to see in a moment, just like Paul, when we come to the end of life, we can say it's finished. Hallelujah. So it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Can I encourage somebody in this place today? God told a lying, conniving, manipulative individual named Jacob. I got to change your name to Israel because you didn't even know your whole life your behavior's been lying to you. You've been conniving your whole life. You've been lying your whole life, and you think that's who you are, but just because that's who you've been doesn't mean that's who you were born to be. And there's some people in this room just because that's who you've been, and Satan's been pounding on your head saying, this is what you're going to be for the rest of your life. Well, I got news for you. That's not who you're going to be the rest of your life. That's not who God has designed for you to be. God says to Jacob, there's somebody else I want to introduce you to. It's the you you haven't met yet. His name is what? Israel. Whereas you were a a, a conniver, a trickster, Israel is a prince with God. And God says, because I don't care what you did, when you did, how long you did it, your behavior's been lying to you. There's an Israel inside of you that I want to pull out. There's an Israel inside of you that I want to develop, that I want to manifest in your life. But it comes down to us presenting ourselves to God and saying, God, here I am. Take my hands. Use my my body, God. Use my mind. Use my heart. Use my mouth. Whatever it is, God, use me for the upbuilding of your kingdom. Somebody in this room better praise God because if you don't have a past, then you don't have nothing to worry about. But thank God for those of us who do have a past that your past is not your future. Hallelujah, somebody. You need to give God a praise in this place and let the devil know that you may have had a piece of my past, but you do not own my future. I've surrendered my all to Christ. That's why that song came about, I surrender all. All to him I owe. Hallelujah, somebody. And I don't know about you, but the day you got saved, that's what you said. God, I surrender. Devil, I rebuke you. I bind you. But God, I surrender to you all, everything, God, about my life. And Satan, you can't have my past anymore. But God, everything about me, I give to you now. I'm telling us as a body of believers, Jesus is the head and we are his body. We are special. You can search throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, I don't care where you look. None of the words that God used to describe us, none of them are normal. The Bible calls us chosen, anointed, royal, peculiar, beloved, predestined, salt, light, head, not tail, above, not beneath, lenders, not borrowers. He says you're not just conquerors, but you are more than conquerors. These are all words that God used to describe all of us as believers. He gives us, watch this, he gives us distinction. We are distinct church because to be abnormal is to be normal to the Christian. 
This is why the devil keeps trying to keep Christians at standardization and conformity. This is why Paul said, don't be conformed to the ways of this what? World. But be what? Transformed. I remember when, when Israel was blessing his sons, he got to Reuben and he said, Reuben, you are unstable as water. What was the problem? Reuben fit into every situation that he came into. And sometimes when you find believers, when they get around, worldly talking folks, dirty joke telling folks, they act just like them. And when they get around the church, guess what? They act just like church folks. And when they get around downright sinners, they act just like downright sinners. He said to Reuben, you are unstable as water. Whatever joy I put you into, you conform to it. But God says, that's not what I want for my church. I don't want you fitting into every situation. I want you to be so impactful that when you step into the room and they're telling dirty jokes, they cut it off right away because they say, oh, no, she don't talk like that. He, he don't act like that. They, 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 they're not going to converse with us because they're going to try to use the old, they holier than thou. Amen. You can call me what you want to call me. I'm just a child of God. And I love Jesus, and I don't have time for foolishness. Amen. I know I got some saints in this house, some witnesses in this house today that'll say, I don't have time for foolishness. Hallelujah. Because to be Christian means to be different. And sometimes when you're dealing with people, they want to put you in a box. <laughs> they want to tell you what God said and what God didn't say. They want to tell you what's vision and what's not vision. They want to tell you what God's going to do and what God's not going to do. But listen, get me out of your box. I don't belong in it. You cannot categorize me. And somebody need to touch yourself and say, you can't categorize this. Amen, somebody. I am special. I am the apple of God's eye. You can't put a category on me. Why? Because we as believers, watch this, we're living under the principle of exception. This is how we're going to do it. The principle of exception. Everything that God has assigned for our lives, everything that God has told you to do, it is by what? The principle of exception. Well, no, no, you can't because your dad only has this education and, and all your circle of friends only got this, this amount of degrees in their lives and, and it's going to take way more than that to accomplish this. Watch this. What happens to them does not dictate what happens to me. Previous patterns of people who are like me is not an accurate indicator of what the future will be for me. You can't look at anybody else, my age, my race, my gender, my background, my socioeconomic status, and determine what God is going to do with me. You can't tell me that I'm too old. I am the exception. Come on, somebody, touch yourself and say, I am the exception. Oh, y'all just quiet this morning. Come on. Go ahead, touch yourself and say, I am the exception. People would tell you that you can never bounce back from this, and you can never come back from that. But I got news for them. If Jesus got out of the grave, I can come back from anything. You think I can't bounce back from divorce? Watch me. You think I can't come back from bankruptcy? Watch me. You think I can't come back from a downturn in the economy? Watch me. The devil is a liar. Somebody need to shout, watch me. Watch me. Watch me come back. I will come back. The devil meant it for bad, but God is going to work it out for my good. Hallelujah. 
I love the scriptures. He says, and we know all things work together for our good. Listen to church. This principle of exception is not arrogance. It's not a principle of superiority. We're not saying that we're better than. It's a principle of distinction. You're saying you're different from. I'm not better than, but I am different from. Because the Bible is filled with exceptions. And this is where we find ourselves. We're filled with exceptions. Grown men don't go into a lion's den and come out of something that should have torn them to shreds, but they come out unharmed. But with Daniel, God made an exception. Three grown men don't go into a fiery furnace and come out not smelling like what they've been through. But with the three Hebrew boys, God made an exception. Women in their 90s don't have babies, but with Sarah, God made an exception to show all of us that no matter what season of life you're in, if you're willing, God will enable you to give birth to a thing in a season where other people think it's too late. God will make the exception. Water doesn't part on its own, but with Moses, God made an exception. And the Bible says that they walked through on dry ground. I'm telling somebody in this room today, God will make an exception to your situation too. If you surrender your all, if you submit to him in your, all your ways, God will make an exception for you. Why? Because you are living under the principle of exception through the power and the grace of God. Now, I want to merge something into this. It wasn't intentional. I just saw this and I thought it was just so good that I had to, to just blend some things together. Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 13 on down, there's the miracle of the two fish and the five loaves, the 5,000 plus people. Watch this. We're talking about discipleship. Jesus has the disciples with him. Watch this. Watch this. They learned a miracle cognitively. Now Jesus says, I don't want you just getting this cognitively. I want you to participate in one. Did you really get the meaning of the miracle? We're talking about Christian spiritual principle building here now. Watch this. Because what's more important than the miracle itself is the message. And I know we, live, we, we have lived in a church age where, where people were so excited about, you know, the prophets coming in and ooh, ah. And we've been so excited about those who operate and lay hands and, and folks are being healed and ooh and ah. But Jesus says the message is more important than the miracle itself. Watch this. The, the message from the miracle will last longer than the miracle. The miracle was feeding 5,000 plus people who were hungry. But it doesn't matter how much you feed a person, you and I all know that three or four hours later, you're going to be hungry again. Amen? So the miracle didn't last, but the message did. The miracle was provision. The message is he is a provider. Hallelujah. And the purpose of you having the message is you might come into another season where you're going to have to remember what he did yesterday and say, if he did it before, he can still do it when? Again. If he performed it yesterday, he can still perform it today. So watch this. The, the message is more important than the miracle, right? So Jesus sends his disciples into the boat. He tells them to cross over to the other side while he goes and pray. And from evening to dawn, he's praying. 
And they got a head start of hours on Jesus. But Jesus knows what he needs is more important than where they are. And by the time he catches up with them, what he's going to present them with is going to be something so powerful. Amen. He's not panicked. He's not rushed because he realized just because somebody's ahead of you now don't mean it'll always be that way. And I want to speak to some people who feel like you're behind schedule right now. I want to speak to some people who feel like you should be farther along in life by now versus where you really are. I know I got some witnesses in the house today, but the Bible says that they were halfway across the sea, and here comes Jesus stepping. They've been rowing, but Jesus is doing what he's stepping because God is showing us if you, watch this, watch this, this is so good. If you take the time to tend to your spirit and build your spiritual stamina, God will anoint you with the anointing of acceleration, and you will be able to get there quicker with the anointing of acceleration. So take the time to build your spiritual stamina, and it will help you with your purpose. It will help you with your call. It will help you with the assignments that God has on your life. But if you don't spend time developing when nobody's looking, if you don't spend the time developing when you're all by yourself alone with God, you're going to find yourself staying behind. But God says, if you take time apart, put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, God says, I will give you the anointing of acceleration. Hallelujah. And I don't know who I'm talking to in this room today, but God is a God that redeems the time. I remember there's a text in the book of Joel where God says, amen, I'll restore the years. It's not that God is saying, I'm going to give, I'm going to go back and make up the years. No, he's saying, I'm going to use the time that you got left. And I'm going to help you redeem the time in the years that you got left. Amen. Now, as we turn back to Paul here in our text today, Paul's words to Timothy is noted as his pastoral epistle to Timothy, to his son. He wrote 1 Timothy from house arrest. And he's writing 2 Timothy from death row. He's, he's in the Mamertine prison. And he, and he previously charges Timothy to preach. Preach the word is what he tells Timothy. And having delivered his charge to preach the word, Paul now begins, watch this, this is good. He begins to pen his own obituary. He knows the place that he's at, he's not coming back from it. He knows the place that he's at. He's done everything. God has asked him to do. And so Paul goes into this discourse. Listen to what he says. He says, verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul uses Old Testament Im imagery to describe his impending death, just as drink offerings were poured out on the altar, the apostle recognized that his own life was being poured out. And the time of his departure was close. And he's sitting here in this Roman prison. He's awaiting his execution. And he says, I'm ready. I am already being poured out. He goes to verse 7. I love this. And he gives us some powerful points here. He says, he says I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Now, there's some fights we get into that's not worth our time. But Paul says, listen, I've been fighting for souls. That's what I've been fighting for. I've been fighting to win people to Christ. 
I spent a good portion of my life trying to kill people who acknowledge Christ, but now that Jesus has saved me, he says, I fought a good fight. I fought the most noble battle of all, the souls of people. And the question God wants to know for us today is what about us? What are you doing? What are you fighting for? What are we fighting for as the body of Christ? Have you given your all to Christ? He goes on next and says, I have finished the race. See, it's not just enough to start the Christian race. It's not enough to run the race. But you and I, guess what, saints of God? We must finish the race that God has put us on. Hallelujah, somebody. Our goal in life must be to finish well. And Paul didn't reach the end of his, end of his days to contemplate, I wonder, did I? I wonder, did I? I wonder, did I? It's the worst place that we can be in the world is to be at the end of life and saying, I wonder. I wonder. No, no, no. In fact, he had a sense of completeness. I've done everything, and so I have finished the race. And then number three, he says, oh, I love this. I have kept the faith. Bible says God has given us a measure of faith. Faith increases and grows as you grow with God. And Paul says, I have kept the deposit. I have kept the earnest. I have kept the faith that God has put inside of me. And Paul says, I have guarded this deposit well. He recognized its great value. He recognized the faith that God had put in him as a treasure. And then he comes to verse 8. Watch this. He says, therefore... There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Paul knew that he would soon die at Rome's hands. And of course, according to, watch this, ancient tradition, Paul was martyred. He was beheaded. But that frightening fate made no difference to Paul. Amen. Not only would the Lord restore his head back to his body, but God said, I got a crown to place on your head. And I love this church because he goes on and he says, watch this, verse 8, the B clause. He says, finally there's later for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, would give me on that day. And he says this to all of us, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. God wants every single one of us to know that you may go through some things in life serving me. It may get hard sometimes serving me. It may be rough having to take a stand for Jesus. But God says, there's some rewards you'll get in the earth realm. But one day when we pass on from this realm on to glory, God says, I want you to know that there's going to be a crown that I'm going to place on your head. Hallelujah, somebody. You need to give God a praise. Because listen, Romans 8.18 says, watch this, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. He comes in 1 Corinthians and he says, for we know that our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us in eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's why we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. Hallelujah. Somebody need to shout, I shall wear a crown. Amen, somebody. I should encourage your neighbor beside you and tell him we're all going to wear a crown one day. 
We're all going to wear a crown one day. Hallelujah, somebody. We're all going to wear a crown one day. And this is what I've discovered a couple of weeks ago. Football season for the SEC started two weeks ago. I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan. Everybody should know that. Oh, I didn't get none of that in the first service. It's not how you start. Georgia came out in that first half, and I was scared. I said, oh, Jesus. I said, oh, Lord. And they went back in the, in the locker room at halftime, and they came out and watched this. They made some adjustments. <laughs> and all of a sudden, with the adjustments they made, they beat Arkansas. And then with the adjustments that they made last week, they tweaked some more, and they got the running game going yesterday. And they won Auburn yesterday. Amen. Now, I'm not trying to boost Georgia for those of you watching and those of you that are in here. All I'm saying is it's not how you start. But I am telling us sometimes along the journey, we got to make some changes. We got to tweak a few things. We got to look at what's working and what's not working. We got to look at this and say, oh, this ain't working. I don't have time for this, and uh, that's not working. I don't have time for that, and hanging around this crowd is not working. I don't have time for that, but I need to hang around what's working, and I need to gravitate toward what's working in my life. And whatever's working is what's going to give us the power to continue to press on and go forward. So don't look at what was back and how it was yesterday. Simply look at the adjustments and the changes and say, I know where I'm going and I know how I'm going to get there quicker. It's by the power of God. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. You need to preach with me today and say it. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say it one more time. I can do all things through Christ who, finish, who, who strengthens me. So we got to fight the good fight. We got to finish the race. And we got to keep the faith. Why? Because our rewards are waiting for us. I love this. I love this. Hebrews 12, as you stand on your feet with me today. Hebrews 12 after we've seen the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 open up. And it says, since we're therefore so encamped about such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin. Mm -hmm. You see the adjustments? Every weight which do so easily beset us. Now this is what I discovered. There was, there was one year... You may not believe it. You may not believe this. You may not believe this. In high school, 10th grade, I was 238, and I could run the 40 quicker than most people. I could run the 40 in like a 4.7. They used to tie weights on us to make us faster. And we get out there, and we have to press. We have to run with the weights on. And guess what? It built stamina. It built strength. And one year, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty quick. I'm going to run track this year. 
And I got out there with some small dudes. And they took off and left me, and I said I quit. They were too small. They were too quick. I was fast, but they were way faster than I was. The weights only work when you're practicing. But when you're in the game, you don't have time for weights on you. We, we, we don't have time for nagging people in the body of Christ. We don't have time for negativity. We, we don't have time for foolishness. It's not that we're superficial. It's not that we're super spiritual. No, no, it's none of that. It's just we got a race to run. And we got to finish well. So it comes a time where in the book of Hebrews 12, he says, lay aside the sins and the weights which so easily besets you and run with patience the race that is set before you. This is what I've discovered. I've had a car wreck. I've had a, 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 a hip fracture. I can't run like I used to no more. I can't even barely run at all anymore. I got bone on bone in this hip, but guess what? I'm still running my race. I may not be able to run as quick as you are, but we're still heading toward the same goal. And supernaturally, there's a power that's building up and giving me the stamina to keep on keeping on in Christ Jesus. Can I encourage somebody in this room today? I don't care where you are. Keep on pressing. Keep on keeping on. I don't care what roadblocks are in front of you. Keep on pressing and keep on keeping on. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God says, finish strong. Finish strong in every assignment that he's placed on your life. Guess what? Finish strong. And whatever your call is, whatever your purpose is, God says, finish strong. Keep the faith. Run the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Run the race. God says, keep on keeping on. And he says, when the enemy comes whispering in your ears and says you can, I can. Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Let's pray in this room. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the principles in your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for those who are watching. Thank you for those who will be watching, those who will be listening. Let this word strengthen. Let it encourage us, God. Let, us, let it give us the spiritual stamina to understand we got a race to run, and we want to finish well. We thank you, God, and we give you praise, honor, and glory. And it's all in Jesus' name. We say hallelujah. And we say amen. Now, if you're in this room and you're not saved, maybe, maybe right now God is knocking at the door of your heart. He says it in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and sup with you. If you're in this room and you're not saved and you want to accept Christ as Savior, Lord, won't you just lift your hand right where you are? It doesn't matter who you are. If you want to accept him as Savior, as Lord, lift that hand. Let's pray with you. If you've backslidden and you want to get back in the race, 
Come on, lift that hand right where you are. I want to get plugged back in. Anyone in this room? Praise God. Finish strong. Run with patience. Run with endurance. Study to show yourself approved. Do everything God has told you to do. And know that he'll give you the supernatural strength to continue to press and finish the assignment. Come on, give God a great big hand clap of praise and tell him thank you. Tell him thank you. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.